Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello. Welcome to IntelliCast. I don't get the music anymore. I get all fired up with the music. Sometimes Brian plays us in, sometimes he doesn't. Last episode of the season. Hello, everybody. This is IntelliCast Season 4, Episode 43, last episode of the season. Joining me today, as always, Brian Peterson. Hello, Brian. Hey, how are you? All right. And Andrew DeSellis, to close us out. Hey, Andrew. Hey, how's it going? Oh, great. I can't believe this is Season 4. I can't believe we're going to be starting season five in a couple of weeks. Um, and we have year long seasons. We yep. could break them up. We could be in season 20 something if we were crazy. Um, but thanks for listening, everybody. You can reach us at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com. Please follow us on Twitter at EMI underscore research or IntelliCast1. Leave us a voicemail or text over the holidays at 513-401-5463. Um, we really have a very loosely loose agenda today to talk about. We're just might be goofing off a little bit. Um, what should we talk about? Should we go through some news? Should we just talk about current events? Should we anything else? What do you want to talk about? First thing I want to know. So you said we're getting ready for season five here, right? So yeah. um at least in, in Kentucky and Ohio, Intelecast is getting ready to go to kindergarten, right? This is a big deal. <laughs> so do you know what was the date that we launched the first podcast when is the five-year anniversary and what are we going to do to commemorate it third week of january next year there you go well, that will be the four-year anniversary but it'll be our fifth year okay okay <laughs> and man that first episode was I mean, well, not yeah. our best I mean, we're much better now, um, but we have, we've had a lot of bad episodes over the years, especially when we try to do weird stuff, like live stuff, um, on the road, without Brian involved, we're the much more challenging episodes. We had one where one mic failed when we had a bunch of people on and you can't even hear them, yeah. Yeah, we've That had a lot sticks of- out in my mind. Okay, so let's do this. Let's do this. Since you said you want to goof off a little bit, it's the last episode of the year. Favorite IntelliCast memory? Um, <clears throat> my favorite memory is probably the lot. I think it was the first live show we did. Um, it was at MRMW conference a couple years ago, and um, Adam Jolly was on the podcast, and we did it. We kind of went rogue. We weren't even like you know, we weren't sponsors for the, for the um, nope. MRMW conference at all. It was in Northern Kentucky. We just kind of got a restaurant space and set up, set up shop and invited people to come. And a lot of people came and um, it, you know, I think that it reminds me of the old days when we were a little bit more rogue and almost outcast in the industry. And, but we had such a good turnout and lots of cool guests on that episode. Um, Shelly Prep came on 
and um, Mary Draper, that was her first time on, and Dorothy Flesta uh, came on, and we just brought guests up, and we were, you know, having a couple beers. That was so much fun. That's probably my favorite IntelliCast memory was, you know, we're much more, like, I guess we're more, more mainstream now. But back in the day, we're a little bit more rogue and, like, trying to, like, disrupt almost with our podcast. Right. We, we weren't willing to pay the podcast sponsor fee. There wasn't even one then. So uh, I would say that is probably my number one as well. My number two, and it's not really the live podcast, but it was our event. And I think it was actually later that year, same year, um, the live election one. We did the live Facebook one. It was still, we put it under a telecast, but we went, we partnered with the living room to do it. We had people who called in. And no, some people thought they were plants. No, they were not. We had no idea who was calling in or what they would say. No, that was a good one, too. This was um, November of 2018. It was the midterm election night. And, yeah, I loved it because, you know, we, it was on video. That was our first time kind of being live. We had a beautiful space at the living room in Norwood. And, you know, Adam Dietrich and Adam Jolly and I, and we had guests, live guests, with people calling in. I had joked around that maybe we should force people to vote. And someone from Australia called in and said that's what they do in Australia. That was just, like, amazing to me. Yeah. And that was a really good time. I loved that episode as well. And we might, who knows, we might do something similar to that next year. Yep. We definitely should. I'm, I'm in on the live event. Um, I think my favorite was IIEX 2018. If you remember yeah. that, we did a... <laughs> I don't know if it was, I don't think it was live, but it was like a remote recording, right? Yes. With like different people from, um, well, it was supposed from the to conference. Be- it was supposed to be live, <laughs> Yeah, but it was just, uh, we ended up like not, we we're in this bar near the conference and we didn't have the space we were supposed to have. I think Brian was like running to Radio Shack because we didn't have the equipment that we needed to have. And then as soon as we got set up and everything, we had to like change the microphones because people in the bar were heckling us. Yeah. They were like, I think um, someone almost got into a fight with us, like because they were, they they didn't want us to be recording or something. It was just so bizarre. Um, It was bizarre the whole time. we, We had amazing guests that night too. Um, we had Roddy Knowles, we had Ted Pulsifer, we had uh, Trisha Houston, we had um, a few others. Um, I mentioned Ted Pulsifer. Um, yeah. It was a cool little setup, but yeah, it was just, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just trying to have fun at the time, and it was a lot of fun. It probably didn't translate over to, like, if you wanted to listen to it, but for the 12 of us that were there in the bar that night, that was a good time. We also learned you can't go to do live remote lives or remote podcasts without the producer. Because yeah, I was not that's for sure. We, we've done a little bit better with the remote, the new remote yeah. um, setup that we have. But yeah, we've we've you know it's been so much fun. I can't believe um, that I've been part of this for almost five years now. That's really crazy to me because wasn't I, that bar closing? Like that was like the second to last night it was open too. Wasn't yeah, that it was closing. Yeah. And there was a competitive like wire event at the same time. I think I'm I'm not sure why why we tried to compete against wire for people, but you know we didn't really care back then. Yeah. yeah so, um, 
lots of good memories. And, you know, we've changed the format a little bit. We've gone from more segments and into more of a news kind of podcast over the past couple of years. I think we'll switch that up to a little bit more topical maybe next year. We've got mm-hmm. some ideas for topics next year. But, you know, we're always looking for feedback on guests and topics and points of view. And I think that we've kind of broken a lot of news in the industry, or at least a lot of people listen to us because, you know, a lot of people don't have time to read all the newsletters and get all the news updates and go on LinkedIn all day long. And they can just drive home from work and listen for 20 minutes and get the news updates. And it's kind of hard to keep up with all the news, especially the past, man, I feel like every week there's just a long list of market research news. Well, kind of leading into that, over the last couple months, it seems like there has been a rash of mergers and acquisitions. It seems like we popped that going into 2019 through that, there was a lot. And then COVID hit and kind of had a pause. It seems like there was, they would trickle in, but it just seems like, and maybe this is just my perception of it, like over since Q4 hit, it seems like every week there seems to be some sort of new blockbuster merger acquisition that's announced yeah in the um in our um rundown you mentioned alita hired a mergers and acquisition specialist screen engine buys tapestry research concentrix acquires pk which is a global cx design company uh belindi um had some news they were sold donata acquired ameritas that's huge donata also acquired optimus analytics an ai company um, M3 acquired another company. That's just in the past couple of weeks. And right. you know, if you summarize all the huge mergers in the past year, um, just the Schlesinger mergers and acquisitions alone would be huge with all of the stuff they've acquired. Um, and there's just it's just rampant. And it's obviously it's a time for people to, it's a good time to buy in some ways. Um, it's a good opportunity. But as a researcher, I obviously we've talked about it, have some concerns about it from a data standpoint. But um, that's that's the world we're living in. This is going to slow down next year either. So a question for both of you. Is this a people have been sitting on a pile of cash over the 2020 and we got through COVID. Now I have a pile of cash and I need to do something with it. Or is this more of a on some of these, like, hey, I've been in this, this has been my company for 30, 35 years, they're owner type stuff. And it's, hey, you know what? It's time for me to cash out. I want to go lay on a beach somewhere for the next 20 years and enjoy my retirement. What do you guys think is kind of driving this? Andrew, you go first. Yeah, well, I mean, you're certainly not wrong. Um, You know, the online research space specifically, right? You know, sitting here in, in... 2020 we're coming up on probably what 30 years of the you know 1990s.com internet surge all of that um probably realistically about 20 to 15 years of online research um so it certainly could be that there's a large group of privately owned companies owned by the founders who are now looking to exit right That timeline tracks. That makes sense to me. Um, So certainly a viable hypothesis. Um, But, you know, I, well, and I certainly don't know either if any of these companies are cash rich, right? Um, I don't know if private equity was holding back. Um, Maybe one of you two can, can comment on that. But to me, 
if I had to guess, which you asked me to, so I will, um, you know, I, I think that with the pandemic, right, consumer behavior has changed so much that insights are now more important than ever before. We've said it before on this show that COVID was the death of trendability, right? And while I know we've seen sort of a steady uptick in business, a lot of our, um, you know, our partners and our clients and our competitors are all experiencing upward growth. Even if there hasn't been kind of that explosion yet, I think that private equity firms um, and certainly brands are coming into our space more aggressively than before. And I think that the overarching interest in investing in all kinds of data div- uh, data-driven companies, including primary data collection and um, primary data conduction and research and things like that, is all very attractive to both brands and to private equity right now. And I think that that has had a, a catapult because of the pandemic, right? You know, I, I was reading an article from Harvard Business Review that said that the level of like online purchase behavior and online customer engagement that we're seeing in, in 2020 and 2021 is not unprecedented, right? You know, there were different firms um, that had predicted that things would be where they are today. They just thought it was going to be in 2025. Right. So we have this huge acceleration in consumer behavior. Brands need to catch up. They need to do that with primary research because there's a reset. And so I think that we're seeing money come into the space as a reaction to that. Um, that's my hypothesis. Um, what do you think, Brian Lamar? Does that sound like a, a load of crap or are you with me? <laughs> I'm with you. I think um, we've seen what the, all the new money that's kind of entered the industry over the past few years that didn't exist before. Clearly, they're valuing insights and in, in the data that we provide much more than they did a few years ago. And I've given some credit to this to to Patrick Comer, um, and he deserves it. And I think that now companies are really trying to position themselves. And I think COVID gave them more opportunities because some companies were struggling and probably it's a good time to buy. So I think that, you know, firms that are buying other companies are trying to obviously just trying to increase their capabilities, gain some sort of a competitive advantage, diversify their products. Um, That's what they're trying to do to position themselves for growth. Um, I think Schlesinger, obviously, you can see all the assets they've bought. Um, they're positioning themselves to be a top three, four market research player on the globe. And they see where the, maybe the industry is headed and positioning themselves to compete against like, you know, the Nielsen's and the Cantars and the Ipsos's of the world. Um, and they're, you know, a lot of the companies they bought and acquiring assets were smaller. Some of them were qualitative in nature, probably struggling over the past year and a half. Some of them had great technology and so that there's a technology play also. I think we saw that with Sit and Lucid. Um, so yeah, all of those things are true. 
and it's not going to slow down, right? I think it's just going to be more rampant next year. I don't, I don't, I don't think this is the end. This is the. I don't know where we are on the curve, but I don't think we've hit the peak. So let me ask you this: um, something that occurs to me, you know, like you said, Patrick Comer has been really instrumental in this, and one of the things that he has done, um, at least in you know, kind of his LinkedIn posts and what he's been been public about personally, uh, is almost rebranding us to you know hashtag ResTech right yeah. to research technology and do you think we've seen and I, I i think you'll agree so it's kind of rhetorical but there's been a fundamental shift from research and in sample specifically from professional services companies to technology over the last five years um you know while there was always certainly proprietary assets of the lists and panels that folks have built. Um, I think we've seen a lot more products rolled out. I think we've seen a lot more sophisticated software rolled out. And those types of things are inherently more investable, right? Than a professional services company. Is that true? Is that good? Um, That's certainly not going to slow down at all. Yeah, I think that kind of the branding of our industry as research tech, as res tech, we needed it. I, I mean, kudos to Patrick for basically going on a one-man rampage to get that done, and now it's kind of adopted. Um, I'm more concerned about the research part of it than the tech part of it. Obviously, tech is always going to be a part of what we do. It's a very important part to get more efficient to provide insights faster, uh, more insights, but I'm more of a traditionalist. And so, you know, I want to make sure that our clients are getting the data they need for the best possible business decision that they're doing. Um, The reason they're hiring us. So sometimes there's a conflict almost um, between the tech part and the research part. And maybe I'm the only one that says this um, or, for me, I shouldn't say this, but that's a challenge as we grow as an industry and we get more innovative and all these efficiencies and all this new money and all these new companies, all these new capabilities, all these new geniuses that are entering research tech and insights is, you know, foundationally, we're providing data to clients to make strong business decisions. And so the balance is tough and you need people that can kind of I wouldn't say slow down the tech part of it, but best leverage the tech without diminishing the research opportunities. And that's, there's people smarter than me trying to figure this out at places. And it's, it's just such a challenge. I don't, I don't know. Maybe there should be a, I'd love to have a bigger discussion about this because something we fight against all day long. Um, I don't know. I just kind of rambled for a minute. What do you think about that, Andrew? I think that's a great point. You know, it, it, does it create friction organizationally between the sample space and, you know, most sample providers, most panels um, are doing a bulk of their business with full service market research firms, management consultants, so on and so forth. And I think that aside from the giants who are publicly traded, we've seen a trend recently 
um, maybe not recently, but a, a trend overall of those types of firms being privately or employee owned. Right, Burke is famously employee-owned. Um, Directions Research here in Cincinnati has been employee-owned for quite some time. Um, the Link Group had a big announcement this year that they were transitioning to an employee-owned company. Um, brought on some partners. Um, you know, if the sample space is in a technology arms race and is running with open arms towards private equity. And the bulk of our clients are rather staying in this privately and employee-owned model. Um, does that create friction along those lines of what you were saying? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's lots of areas for friction. Um, I love that trend of employee ownership. Um, I think that that gives um, accountability and ownership to the people that own the company, which are, you know, instead of investors looking for profit. It's people that are doing the research. That's what I love about, honestly, Directions Research and Burke. Really strong researchers. And of course, we want to make a profit. But at the end of the day, they're thinking probably a little bit more long-term rather than an investor who will spend some cash and wants you know, pretty, pretty immediate return on investment, right? We see that a lot. Um, Brian, you are itching to say something. What, I, what are I your thoughts? So you talked about the private equity component of it, but... You also have a couple in the sample space that are publicly traded companies. Dynated one, Synth is another. I mean, there's two of what we'll call the top four. These are publicly traded companies. And your aspect of private equity wanting their investment back, that's just super amplified with a public company. They're going to want, they want to see results on a quarterly basis. Yeah, Cantar, Ipsos, Nielsen, all publicly traded. Yep. Right. So... I think you're going to have, does that bode well for what is essentially the best thing for the research is because now you're having two fighting values kind of going at each other. What we need to do for what is best for research and then what is best for my shareholder and which one is going to win on that. Yeah, that's why you see turnover at the executive level in those companies quite a bit. Um, and big changes. I mean, Kantar has gone through just massive changes the past five, 10 years since Nielsen has, you know, they split apart and um, that's, I can't even imagine being a public company. We're so fortunate. You know, we have, a, we have challenges as a small privately held company that doesn't take on PE money. We have our own challenges, but man, I've worked at those large publicly owned companies. Oh, and, wow. You know, there's some advantages to it. But, you know, we're beholden at EMI, all three of us are beholden to Mike Holmes. And so is every employee in the history of this company, right? Yep. And there are some advantages to that. I, I know who has the one vote in the company, and I've built a relationship with over him for the past 10 years. And, you know, I know how to, you know, I know when to fight a battle. I know when to not. And I know how he thinks, and we all kind of do. And there's some advantages to that. Um you have no control at a public publicly owned company, man. And any, if there's anything that can happen that can shift something to make a massive change at, at a moment's notice that I'm so glad that I don't have to think about anymore. I can't tell you how many mergers and acquisitions I went through when I was at, I was at Cinovate acquired by Ipsos. There were a lot of people that worked at Cinovate that had formerly worked at Ipsos and then Ipsos acquired them. They were back at Ipsos. I can't even imagine that. There's lots of stories like that in research. It's very incestuous as it is. 
you know, people are leave the company and then they're bought back to that company. It happens all the time. Um, I don't know. The, I don't know. I think I'm way off topic here, but I think that there's certainly challenges um, balancing the research part and the tech part, regardless of what type of company you are. You know, we have high growth just as much as we probably have probably higher growth standards than a lot of companies that are getting millions of dollars infused into their system, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we have pressure on us to grow. Andrew has a lot of pressure to grow accounts. Brian, you have pressure to grow accounts. I have pressure to grow accounts. And it's not coming from a mystery group of investors or shareholders. You know, it's coming Locking from- analysts. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming from executive team and, you know, Mike Holmes. I don't know. Coming from the corner office. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Andrew, you probably have thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know thoughts at like a, a higher, higher level, but um, I love working at a company that is a hundred percent privately owned. I also love that it's owned by the founder, um, you know, and I think, probably similarly to what you would feel at an employee owned company. You know, Mike has shared with me before that he's incredibly passionate about the people who work here and about being a business owner and about giving a job to people at a company that cares about them. And I've had some other jobs and I've worked at some other companies that that was not the case. And it's just night and day. Um, and I imagine that it's, you know, fundamentally the same at an employee owned company because it, you know, it's all the employees who work there who have the vote. So it, it would certainly be the same. Um, but then again, as well, you know, there's also the disadvantage of, um, you know, like my, my sister works at a large company um, that is, uh, publicly traded and you know part of her compensation package is rsus right so and those can go up in value um so there there's absolutely advantages and disadvantages to both but i i for one prefer to stay on this side of the line well that was, that was good yeah what else should we talk about that was pretty we did not plan on that conversation at all well no, we I kind of did we kind of did we had like 12 bullet points of acquisitions that had happened in the last two weeks. And then there was just a line that said mergers and acquisitions discussion. So there you go. <laughs> there it is. The last five minutes or so kind of was a different angle. So, but no, I think it was really good. Um, I'll go a little more lighter. This is the last episode people there. We are going to have some best of the best of episodes coming out over the next couple of weeks, kind of revisiting some of our, best guests that we've had over the over this year but with that in mind is what do you guys have planned for the holiday season here andrew you want to go first sure so i you know i actually have a pretty tame holiday season lined up um you know kind of doing the the normal backflips of of someone who's married with two little kids that um everybody's got to get a piece of those toddlers, man. So I'm, you know, going to see the grandparents, going to see the great grandparents, um, trying to split everything up. Everybody wants Christmas morning, uh, you know, just trying to figure that out. So a lot of driving back and forth, but, you know, um, I'm looking forward to the food. My father-in-law always does prime rib for Christmas Eve dinner. Looking forward to that. 
Um, New Year's is my second favorite holiday. Um, so I'm, for those of you who know me, I'm one of those like weird type A, super goal obsessed, annoying people. Um, you probably know people like that, that you hate if you aren't one. Um, and I'm like that. So I love New Year's resolutions. Um, so I'm looking forward to that and really just kind of seeing some folks who I haven't been able to see in a long time. Um, people from out of town who are coming home from the holidays, but, you know, really nothing extraordinary planned. Um, probably a lot of food and a lot of wine and bourbon um, and giving my kids the disgusting amount of presents that they, that Amazon has delivered to our home. Um, yeah. We had a, um, an unfortunate incident where one of them was delivered with the packing label on the original packaging and um, my three-year-old, his name is Sterling. He came running in uh, to my office and he goes, daddy, daddy, there's rescue bots on the porch. I was just, oh no. So anyway, but yeah, I think pretty standard. I think pretty standard. Um, How about you BP? Anything big on the books? Uh, We are seeing a lot of family come in kind of like you We have two younger kids. But unlike you, not everyone's competing for Christmas morning because we have laid down like, you're welcome to come to our house for Christmas morning, but we're having it at our house. So we're going to have family come over for Christmas dinner. My brother-in-law's coming down from college in New York this weekend. My sister's coming up from South Carolina on Monday. Um, Just some family time. We're going to hit some of the local kind of Christmas stuff. We're going to do the lights at the Cincinnati Zoo. We're going to go to Winterfest at Kings Island. Uh, my daughter wants to have playdates with her friends, so there's just that, all that kind of stuff. Probably go see a couple movies. Mr. Lamar? You guys, you guys going to go see the new Spider-Man movie? I'd like to. I don't know how, how many dirty looks I would get by bringing a five-year-old in there. So, we'll see. I don't think you'd get any dirty looks at Spider-Man. Well, yeah, my holidays are a little... Mine took a little turn. Um about 36 hours ago, I was diagnosed as COVID positive. I'll just go ahead and just say that. Um, I'm fine. I'm Well, I'm a little sick, but I'm fine overall. Um, so I'm supposed to quarantine until December 24th. Um, that's when I would typically see my family on December 24th and 25th and 26th. So it's throwing a wrench into it. Um, not a big deal. I can postpone. I'm off all those that whole week so I can figure it out. But it's certainly throwing a wrench into not only that, but like I can't go Christmas shopping. So at some point over the next couple of days, I'll be doing all my Christmas shopping, which was my own fault on Amazon, which I didn't want to do. I wanted to kind of go to some local places. Um, but now I can't, I mean, I can't really go into a, a place of business until after Christmas. That's weird. Um, so I haven't really thought through all of the ramifications of this, of being COVID positive during the Christmas holidays and Christmas season. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but again, I'm fine. So it's, you know, it's not a, that big of a deal. The worst thing I have to do is, you know, quarantine for a few days. But, you know, that said, once your quarantine is over, you have the 90 day golden window of immunity. Yeah. You can go crazy and hog wild, man. I know. I'm pretty excited about that. Um yeah, I'm really excited. To, number one, and this this is probably going to sound horrible, but I'm kind of glad that I got COVID and know that I can beat it. And I know there's other variants out there that will come someday. And, you know, there's always risk. 
I'm not saying you want to go out and lick COVID or whatever, uh, but you know, it's nice to know that I feel like at some point we're all going to get it. You just got to hope that you get it at the, you know, delay it as long as possible, maybe to get it to where there's better treatment and the vaccines are working better and things like that. Um, so I'm kind of glad that I got it at a point um, because I do, I do have a chronic illness. I have Crohn's and I'm immunocompromised as it is. And so I was a little bit nervous about it. I'm at the age group where you start getting a little bit worried about it. Um, so knowing that I got it and it feels like a bad cold for a couple of days, and that's the worst that'll happen to me. I hope I still have my, unfortunately, I still have all my um, appetite. I was hoping to maybe not eat for a couple of weeks. That would have been really nice for me. Um, so you I can have still all, taste stuff is what you're saying. Yeah, I can still taste and I have my full appetite. So, you know, I'm just not, don't have any energy. So I'll probably be gaining weight while having COVID, which is no good. Um, but I'm okay. We'll see how this, you know, the worst thing is I have to buy people's Christmas gifts on Amazon and I see them a couple of days later. It'll be fun though. I love, I do love the holidays. All right. I think that's everything we have for this week and kind of a wrap up for this year. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to close it out. If you're still listening and you listen to all of Brian and Andrew and my Christmas plans, man, you are an amazing person and listener. We really appreciate it. Um, we go off topic a lot. We ramble a lot. Um, not sure how every topic um, hits the target for all of our listeners, but we we do know we have a lot of little listeners, so we really appreciate it. I think that we'll have some positive improvements in the podcast in 2022, year five. We have some nice guests lined up. We have some topics lined up. We'll be doing some kind of cool stuff with the podcast next year because, you know, we, your time is valuable. There's lots of other podcasts. So I feel like every couple of months there's a new one announced. Um, so we're trying to stay top of mind. Anything else for closing for you guys? I don't think so. Just happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, everybody. Yes, happy, happy holidays. holidays. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.